I want to open up in prayer at the moment. Recording in progress. <clears throat> um, I want to. I just want to say welcome, everybody. It's great to have you um, yet again for another uh, Bible study, um, and I'm looking forward to the Lord uh, speaking to us this day or this evening, wherever you're at. Um, it's a blessing to meet as the people of God, as it states in uh, Psalm 133, if I'm not mistaken, how good and pleasant it is that the people of God would dwell together in unity. And, you know, the interesting thing about that is uh, we find in the scriptures that the Bible refers to many things as good, and it refers to many things as pleasing. Um, but the Bible is very careful to, to take note of the fact that to dwell among the people of God is both good and pleasing. Because there are some things that are good. The, uh, the dentist is a good thing, uh, but I just went to the dentist recently, got a cavity filled, but it wasn't pleasing. <laughs> so it was a good thing, but it was uh, unpleasing to my gums and my teeth. And there are things that are pleasing that are not good. And we can say that anything that is called sin falls in that category. And so Amen. the Bible says in 1 John, it says that our, fellow, if, um, our fellowship is with the Father. And, and uh, Jesus, our advocate, and it says if we have unity with him, it says our fellowship is with one another. And, and so our, the fellowship among the, the saints, and fellowship, all that means in the Greek, uh, the word koinonia, means things in common. And what greater thing can we have in common except uh, Jesus Christ himself? Um, greater than politics, greater than, you know, a particular uh, ethnicity or background or culture or, um, or preferences. The greatest thing that we can have in common isn't even our end times view. It's Jesus Christ himself. And so um, with that said, I want, us, I want to invite us to uh, pray as we come together. Um, <clears throat> let, let us um, go before the Lord with the heart of expectation, with the heart of uh, expecting for God to speak to us this day. Um, uh, cast anything aside that, that may hinder um, your, your receptivity, uh, um, according, uh, uh, receptivity of the word. And so let us pray. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you for, <coughs> I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your great mercy. I thank you for your tender compassions, O Lord, that are enduring. I thank you, Father, that your word says that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that your anger lasts only but a moment. As the psalmist cried, your anger lasts for a moment, but your favor lasts a lifetime. Or we thank you that because of your great compassions we are not consumed. As the prophet declared in Lamentations 3, that your mercies are renewed every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And as the psalmist also cried, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
Not let the redeemed of the Lord think so, but let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So God, may we with joyful lips declare and, and, and say it to be so, that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, O God, that you have not suffered us to die in our sin. You have not suffered us to fall down into perdition. But your great compassions gave us, O Lord, the new birth, gave us new life. When we didn't merit it, we didn't deserve it. But, O oh God, you pulled us out of the mire and you set our feet upon a rock to stay. Thank you for the blood that goes to the lowest uh, valley and ascends to the highest mountain. And as the song says, it has never lost its power. Thank you, O oh Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ has uh, uh, put uh, principalities and demons and the devil himself to open shame. Thank you, O Lord, that you've triumphed over every principality through the cross. And it is by your resurrection you have given us new life, and we can have a great expectation to dwell with you, O Lord, when we fall asleep. We will forever be with the Lord in paradise, in heaven. Thank you, O God. And Father, I just pray right now that you would grant me the unction of the Holy Ghost, that you would speak through me, O Lord, a, a fallible and finite vessel, that you would use me, O Father, to proclaim what the Spirit of God would have to say to your church. Father, I pray that you would grant me grace and strength to proclaim, to speak, as Richard Baxter said, as a dying man to dying men, as if I can never preach again. Father, may we, O Lord, not dodge your word, may it discern our intents and motives of the heart, but may it also grant um, grace to those, O Lord, who are broken. Father, I know that your word can perform surgery on our heart and it be difficult to endure for the time comes that men won't endure sound doctrine. Grant us ears to endure. Grant us hearts to receive upon good ground. And may it yield the crop, O Lord. Father, for we know that when we are disciplined of the Lord is so that we may not be condemned with the world. May we, O Lord, gladly receive the chastisement and may we not resent your correction. For when you discipline us, you are treating us as sons and daughters. For which children, O Lord, never have correction. So Father, I pray, may your spirit move this, this, this day. Help me, Father. I need your ability. Give me the words to say in the correct heart to say it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. Um, I was praying last night, and um, as as it is customary for me, I, I don't prepare sermons. I believe the sermon. I believe God prepares sermons, and the sermons God prepares are men. Um, Paul says, "You are our living epistle," and um, unfortunately, we are in a day of TED talks religious TED Talks, and nice five-pointed sermons, but we don't hear from God. Because ministers themselves don't hear from God. We, we, we know what God has said, but we don't know what He is saying. We, we, we can give you the Greek and the Hebrew and all that other stuff, but 
um, there's a failure behind the pulpits for there to be a fresh word from God from the scriptures. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where there's much entertainment, um, but there's, there is no um, ministering of God's presence. We have become, and I say this uh, respectfully and without uh, intention on, um, you know, spitefully, um, you know, being spiteful toward anybody, but we, we unfortunately have many clowns today. Um, behind the pulpits, and it's a sad tragedy. Um, it, that should cause our hearts to grieve. You know, the, Jesus had a, a particular. Um, he he had a um, an anger when it had come to um, the father's house being uh, treated as a, a business. Amen. Um, amen. Amen. Somebody, y'all can say amen to that because it's it, that's a bad thing. Um, that's that's not a good Amen. thing at all, you know. Um, as I've said many times before, um, I, I have more tolerance for a crackhead and a prostitute, a thug in the streets that don't know God, versus people that are deliberately making a his house a a shame, a, a, a playpen. You know, it's uh it's wasting it's. Because, see, the crackhead, he, you know, he, he's messing up in life, right? But, see, the person that's behind the pulpit leading thousands astray, that to me, that's more dangerous, you know? But, nonetheless, um, I want to just go to the Word and um, read uh, what Jesus has taught us. Uh, remember in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the the purpose of making disciples isn't to just cram a bunch of knowledge into people's heads. That's not what it's about, because there's so many things we can learn Amen. today. You can learn about the geography in the first century, and you know the amount of miles Paul had to travel from, you know, Philippi to, you know, the next particular place he was going to minister to, and all those things are valuable. I don't um, undermine that. I think there's a place for that. But when it, when all is said and done. There isn't something novel or something new that we're looking for in the scriptures. Um, what we what we really need to do, the biggest goal is to look at what Jesus has taught us, which the majority of what he's taught us are very simple things, but are nonetheless difficult things. In fact, I would venture to say they are impossible things to live out apart from the Holy Spirit. In ourselves, Amen. we can't live these things out. It requires the Holy Spirit to empower us to live out this life. But he says, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And so, guess what? You know, as I've said, I've heard many preachers say, you know, um, uh, you know what it says in the Greek when it says all? It means all. <laughs> There's no new revelation to that word. All means all. So when he says, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you, we can't just look at some of these passages that are maybe uh, easier for us to swallow, right? Um, it requires a full diet. See, um, any realm of life, whether it comes to physical exercise or it comes to academia, it comes to learning at a college in a particular subject, what do you have to do? 
<coughs> you have to submit yourself to the whole body of knowledge in order for you to be able to do what it is that you seek to do. A doctor who doesn't undergo all the discipline of learning all his relevant subjects will not be an adequate good doctor because he has neglected either some of the lesser or greater aspects of a medicine of um, whatever it else uh, whatever else it is that they study biology y'all following um, you know I've used this example before and I know it's uh, you know it's uh, relevant especially to men you know I think uh, men make themselves a laughing stock when they go to the gym and all they work out are on their upper body and they don't work out on their legs and they have what's called chicken legs you're neglecting a very important part of your body and so um, let's not neglect any passage of scripture even if it's difficult to read amen um, you want to know if you're on safe ground is that you don't skip over the passages that are hard to read when you, when you are forcing yourself to read some of the difficult passages, that's how you know you're on good ground. Because that's telling you that you are enduring, enduring sound doctrine. It requires endurance. You don't need endurance for being on a lazy boy chair, right? What, what, need, for is, what need is there for endurance in that case? Um, what need is there for enduring a massage? <laughs> you don't have to do much enduring there right amen <laughs> y'all need to endure prayer prayer is not easy y'all need to endure some of these other things in the scripture so nonetheless let us get there uh, uh, Matthew 18 and here's one of the things that I I like to preface by saying um I, I pray and I ask God to lead me. You know, it, it, I really treat the, the, my, my search of the scriptures as I would like prophesying and giving words of knowledge. See, there's words of knowledge and words from knowledge. There's a big difference there. Because to give a word of knowledge means that I have to set aside anything that I can look at or anything that I know about this person I set that knowledge aside because what I know or what I think I know about the person may be misleading and God wants to tell me something that I don't know about them therefore I need a word of knowledge not from knowledge y'all following about y'all understand and so I say that because when it comes to the scriptures I, I don't look I don't, I, I move aside anything I know about you guys, and I ask the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, what, what do you want me to say? Right? I, it can be easy to throw cheap shots at people. Right? And it's not about that. It's about, God, what do you want to say? I'm limited in my knowledge. I'm limited in what I know. I'm limited in my evaluations yeah. and my assessments. God, I need to hear from you to communicate to your people. That's what needs to take place in the church. And so I say that to lead up to this point. That's how I treat the text when I approach it. Okay, and so um, 
because I, I had a... Um, never mind, I, I won't go there. So let's just read Luke, uh, Matthew 18, verse 1. <coughs> Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, and we're going to do, be doing a bit of reading. So if you have your Bible, um, it would be a good thing to keep it open. Because we're going to be doing a lot of reading because it, it all ties in together. Um, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I want to just stop there for a brief moment. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to say about this. A lot of times people are comfortable with asking Jesus um, what are the answers to certain questions, but they're not comfortable asking people. And the reason why is because we love to save face. We love to portray an image that I don't need a, a person. I don't need my brother. I don't need my sister. I'll ask God, but I won't ask them. And... And now that can be a good thing if now it can be a good thing in its context, because on the one hand, some people are overly dependent upon people and treat them as idols. We want to avoid that. But at the same time, people fall into this spectrum here where there's a form of there's a form of rebellion. There's a form of uh, dismissal of the of, of uh, how can I say this? It's dis the dismissal of those who are made in the image of God. And those are both bad. You know, I've heard it said by um, a, a, a pastor that I know from years back, and he says, you can't be rich towards God and poor towards man. It doesn't measure up. How can you be rich towards God and poor towards your fellow man? Moreover, how can you be poor towards your brother and your sister? Amen, somebody? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Slap your neighbor and tell you. <laughs> Amen. Um, now, and, and let me let me just say something real quick on the side. If I if I'm asking if I'm asking for feedback, it's not because I need an applaud. See what that is. What's that? What that is is um, trying to facilitate unity. And and what happens sometimes is when you listen, people's minds derail for numerous reasons: lack of discipline, maybe devils throwing stuff in your mind. I don't know what everybody's doing at their house. Maybe they're distracted to some extent. And so I, I, I'm corralling us back, saying, come on, uh, I'm corralling us. You know, kind of how like uh, those, I used to work at a, a slaughterhouse, and so they would corral uh, 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 cows, right? And not that I view you guys like cows, but you get with the principle, right? Hey, come on back, come on back. And... Um, you can be present in physically, but what happens if your mind begins to drift, the, we lose the spirit of unity. 
And so even though y'all are behind the screen, I can tell by testing the air, either people are offended, people aren't following, people don't understand. You can feel that in the air. It's a spiritual thing. Okay. And so, um, where was I? So they're asking Jesus, <coughs> um, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Now, that can be a valid question to ask, or that can be a question that's motivated by pride. Oh, oh, uh, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? Because they're now this is paralleled with another account of the gospel. They're trying to measure up, trying to uh, size people up, and trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. And they were offended because of uh, the fact that Jesus said, you know, oh, who was it? Uh, John's, uh, I think it was the mother of James and John who had come to Jesus and said, you know, allow for my uh, sons to sit at your right hand and the other at the left hand. Right. And and uh, and the other uh, disciples, the Bible says, were indignant towards them. You know, that's still taking place today. You know that? Um, the people are indignant. They're, they're upset uh, other disciples because, uh, can I just be honest? There are some people that are going to be greater than you in the kingdom. And there are going to be some people that are less. And Jesus makes it clear. He says that whosoever teaches and practice these things shall be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So Amen. There, there are greater. And see, not everybody was in Jesus's circle of three. Not everybody was there. There were people that were in the 5,000. There were people that were in the uh, 70. There were the 12. There were the three. And then John was the closest. And don't get upset at another saint who has paid the price and who has determined that they will uh, get closer to Jesus than you. Because we are not all as close to Jesus as our brother or sister may be. There's a price to intimacy and relationship. There's a price tag. And it costs. It costs. Amen. Um. So he says, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Now, here's where this comes into a lot of abuse. Uh, the unfortunate thing, and I hear this among many uh, Christian circles, uh, particularly those that have no, appre not no appreciation, but they have a less, uh, a less appreciation for being students of the Word of God and even appreciate theology. Now, as I've said before, I, I really resent theology if what we mean by theology is becoming academics with a shrunken soul, with a dead heart, with a fat head. That I resent. I don't approve of that, right? Because what good is more light if I have no fire burning in my soul? Amen? None. But Amen. if, however, I have fire burning in my soul, then add more light. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't want more light adding to my uh, God's disapproval of me. If I'm not doing what he has already commanded for me to do, what more 
do I need to know? You know, I, I, I watched this video some years back. It was a, you know, a funny video. But uh, the father walks in the room and tells his young teenage daughter, uh, clean your room. And uh, she's like, okay, dad. And uh, maybe an hour later, he comes in. And he says, honey, um, why isn't your room clean? He said, oh, <laughs> about that. Let me tell you, I learned what you said in the Greek. And I can tell you it in Hebrew. <laughs> and so he's like, uh... That doesn't matter to me. What, what what value is it if you can retell me what I said for you to do in another language if you didn't do it? And so, if you want to learn the Greek and the Hebrew, hey, that's fine. But make sure that you're obeying it in English or obeying it in Croatian, obeying it in Hungarian, obeying it in Spanish. Whatever language you're speaking, obey it in that language. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> but the point that I was trying to make is there are certain circles that say, hey, to become a child, we need to become more naive. We need to become more ignorant. And maybe certain preachers come to your mind who almost pride themselves that they're ignorant. Like, yo, man, I don't really know much. All I know is I know Jesus. It's like, that sounds good. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Yo, man, I, I just become like a child, bro. And, yeah. and, and no. See, when it's speaking of a child, it's speaking of lowliness of heart, not ignorance of mind. You know, um, I hope if you become a parent, you know how to parent. I hope that Amen. you're not at the level of the one that you're parenting. Amen. Hallelujah. So when when we speak of, when Jesus speaks of childness, he's not speaking of, or, or childlikeness, he's not speaking of childishness. There's a difference. And when he speaks of being childlike, he's speaking of not quantity of age, He's not speaking of a numeric value. He's speaking of quality of heart. You see the difference? Quantity, quality. Numerical value versus heart value. Quality. And so he's speaking of the quality of heart here. And so he says he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, so now here's another thing. Parents, your children are not too too young to get to Jesus. Some people say, oh, you know, he's just a child. Let them just paint Noah's Ark. You know, when, when uh, look, my son, he's five years of age and he's already praying. You know, when there's a problem that arises in the home, he says, daddy, just pray to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. He says, pray to Jesus. Or uh, I might say, man, my back hurts. Oh, daddy, just pray to Jesus. He make you feel better. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and there's times he prays over us. 
and he's five years old. So what I'm depositing in my son be a prayer warrior, and he sees his dad praying for hours. I don't say that to be boastful, but I say that because I, I don't want my son seeing me struggle to pray for five minutes. Oh man, I, I can't do this. I'm barely getting by. I'm barely getting by. I, I, I'm just hanging on by grace. <laughs> no, I'm not just hanging on by grace. I'm thriving by the Spirit and I'm conquering and take dominion for the land. For the kingdom of Christ. Prospering. Having joy. Having victory. Having a, a good report. Not because of any merit in myself, but because of the strength of the Almighty. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. <coughs> um, but he, so, you know, a child is not too young to come close to Jesus. It says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's, here's a thing that you have to take note of. It's not maybe too huge of a difference to some, but it is a difference nonetheless. Um, when it says the kingdom of heaven, he's not saying heaven. There is a difference. When Jesus does refer to heaven, he drops kingdom of. He drops that phrase, kingdom of, of and it speaks of a location is speaking of God's dwelling place when it speaks of the kingdom of heaven it speaks of his royal rule on earth um so now that's just for your information it's I think it's an important distinction um because that means that we should be in the kingdom of God now not later we should be in the kingdom now, not to a future event. Now, of course, I'm not saying that we don't eventually go to heaven, but some people are so focused on heaven that they don't care to bring heaven here and now. Amen. They're, they're stargazing. They're just looking up at the clouds, saying, oh, Jesus, I long to be with you. But you don't do anything for him. <laughs> You're like the Thessalonians that were so future-orientated that they dropped everything that they were doing and they became idle. Yep. yep. You can even... You're looking up so much you can tell... You're beginning to look at images in the clouds. That one looks like a calf. <laughs> That one looks like a golden calf. That one. <laughs> I'm not saying don't long to be to heaven, go to heaven, but but Paul says it was more needful for me that I abide among you. He says I, I am torn. I want to go to be with Christ, but it's more needful for me to be here with you all. Amen. I want to live long life in the land, man. I I, I want to torment hell. I want to vex hell for all the destruction it has caused me in my previous life before Christ. Um, but he says this, 
Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. <coughs> and then we continue. So he's talking about the quality of our hearts here, about becoming children. And then he says, verse 6, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Now, if I can be honest, um, uh, that doesn't sound real nice like something you'll read from Gandhi. <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, maybe an inspiring quote by Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> you know, or, you know, you, you fill in the blank. That doesn't sound good. You can be overly religious and you know say, "Oh no, it sounds good," but I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a threatening. That's exactly what it is. It's a threat. I don't know about you, but I don't like being threatened. But that's why the Holy Ghost comes into play, because the Holy Spirit inspired Jesus to say this. And the Holy Spirit don't get upset at his own word. Your flesh gets upset, but the Spirit of God in you don't get upset at the Holy Writ. Amen. And so, um, this is where we have to die to ourselves. We have to deny ourselves and say, man, if Jesus said this, he wasn't just, you know, um, he was being real. And so he goes on to say, so what does this say about the heart of Jesus? It says that he treats it very serious. And man, Lord, help us to not cause anybody to stumble. Because he, he, he doesn't take it lightly. And, and, and uh, so Lord, help us to avoid causing others to stumble. Um, and obviously, I believe there's degrees to that. There's some people who are intentionally causing others to stumble and destroy the faith of some. And there are others who have done it in ignorance. But in either case, may we repent and may we uh, plead to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness for causing our brothers and sisters to stumble. Paul says, look, man, if, it, if, if meat causes my brother or sister to stumble, I, I'm not eating it. Ooh, we don't like that, huh? Ouch. Now we like our carne asada. <laughs> we, we, we like our, our tacos, right? Um, but the point though, obviously he's not saying don't, he's not saying give up meat altogether. It's just when you're around your brother and sister, learn to yield to them, learn to love them, learn to not put stumbling blocks in front of them. Do stuff for the sake of love. Love them for whom Christ has died. When, when we put it in that pers perspective, Jesus shed his blood for them, for, for me, shed his blood for you. That doesn't mean, you know, let them do whatever. Doesn't mean, you know, let them slide on issues. But it means when it comes to especially disputable matters, don't try to force feed your brother and sister to accept some ways, things that are cool to you. Right? 
And what I mean, I'm not talking about sin. I'm, I'm talking about two things here, sin and disputable matters. There's certain things that are disputable that are not sin. And we're not, we're not trying to cram these disputable matters into our brother or sister's mouth saying, here, eat. Amen. You know? So, but then secondly, sin. You know, don't do things that cause your brother or sister to sin. Hallelujah. And if you have, acknowledge it and go to the Lord for mercy and plead uh, for his forgiveness. But verse 8, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. You know, this, Jesus isn't advocating for you to become an amputee. Because if that were the case, we'd all be around in wheelchairs. <laughs> Worse than wheelchairs. We, we, we should be dead. Because we have used many things, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our noses, uh, you know, our hands, our feet, to sin. But what he's, what the point that he's trying to get at is that you have to deal very sternly with your sin. You, you know, we have today our anger management classes. No, there is no anger management. It's crucifixion to your anger. Don't manage it. You die to it. Amen. You don't manage idolatry. Let's have a class, idolatry management. How ridiculous does that sound? Let's have another class, adultery and covetousness management. Just manage that sin. No, you crucify it, you die to it. We don't permit for it, right? It's like Saul, he began to rationalize and say, you know, um, what I'm going to do, even though God said, slaughter all, destroy all, he says, you know what, I'll save the best of, of our plunder for God, right? He said, I'll save the best for God. When And, and he sacrificed all the defected and blemished ones, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, he said, and what did the Lord say to him through the prophet Samuel? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Yes, you know, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. You know, it, it's kind of like I'm a lie on my tax return, but I'll give to an orphanage. Or I'm not going to listen to. Uh, the pastor, I'm not going to listen to my leader, but I'll just read extra scripture later. <laughs> it don't work that way, man. Um, yeah, we can get into some funny doctrines that way. But he says, cut it off. You you have to, you have to snip it. You have to cut the umbilical cord. And guess what? That hurts. It hurts. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing delightful about it. There's See, it's sacrifice. It's cutting things off. But here's the thing. Those things will weigh us down if we don't. They will hinder our walk with the Lord. But look at what he says. <clears throat> it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled 
then to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Now that's heavy. And that don't make for a good uh, Sunday sermon, right? Cut off or you'll be cast into eternal fire. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I want to say that I think there's an abuse today. We, I'm not a gloom and doom preacher. Um, you know, I, I think that's counterproductive. I, I think that portrays a wrong image of God a lot of the times when, you know, there's a lot of the guys that look like traffic cones that go out with bullhorns and say, turn or burn. You better get right or get left. And it's it portrays a wrong image of God. Um, but at the same time, the Bible still talks about it. And um it's a, it's a it's a terrifying doctrine to say the least. Um but if if you real quickly turn with me to first Corinthians chapter six, we're gonna return back to Matthew, first Corinthians chapter six. Verse 9 through 11. Now, <clears throat> yes, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And this is, look, I'm just reading this here. I'm not trying to fear monger anybody. That's not my purpose. But I just want to read uh, what the Lord's word says, you know. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Remember, Jesus says we have to become like children to inherit the kingdom of God. And so to become like a child speaks with regards to quality of heart, as I've mentioned, right? What's quality of heart? It's to be pure in heart, to have morality, to be um, unadulterated in our hearts towards the Lord. Right? And so what does he say here? Or do you, uh, it says, do you, do not be deceived. So why why does Paul preface with that? Why does he preface by saying, don't be deceived? See, it's not because, look, uh, okay, forgive me for this example. I'm not trying to be crude here. I'm not trying to, you know, be joking here. And so, but it, it is an important uh, point nonetheless, and it's, I think it serves as a good example. If a male is hitting on you and you're a male, I don't need to tell you, don't be deceived. If it's a trans male, right, that looks like a female, takes estrogen pills, modified their body, put clothing on, and it really looks like a female, guess what I'm going to say? Don't be deceived. Right? Amen, somebody. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be crude with this example, but, but I'm trying to illustrate a point, and it's that you need to say don't be deceived when there's a possibility for you to be deceived. A great possibility. And so, when it comes to this particular passage, there is a great possibility for us to be deceived. There's a lot of doctrines that have emerged today teaching us easy believism. Just believe that. I remember speaking some years back with this, this guy, and he says, all you got to do is believe that Jesus... And, and Now, what he meant by belief was 
Just transfer yourself from atheist to theist, and you're in the kingdom of God. Boom, it's as easy as that. And I'm like, bro, you have a perverted view of faith if you think that faith means mental assent. Because in that case, all those that get locked out of the kingdom of God are Muslims, uh, Jews, uh, atheists, all those with false religions. But you can still be a drunkard. You can still be a drug addict. Just believe in Jesus. Right? And so that's not biblical faith. That's mental assent. There's a difference. But he says this, Neither the sexually immoral, um, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. We really don't like that today. It's not politically correct. But I, 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 I don't give two flips about what the people in the White House have to say because in God's house, this is what the scriptures declared. Amen. Hallelujah. It don't matter who's in office. It don't matter what anybody has said. Justin Trudeau, Gavin Newsom, uh, the, the, the Vatos in the UK. It don't matter who it is because at the end of the day, the Bible says that, hey, homosexuality is wrong. Now, does that mean we beat them over the head? No. Does that mean that we insult them and shame them? No. In fact, I would urge us to be very sensitive, not to their sin, but to all the backlash that they have received. And that's something for us, because I understand we can say amen and hoorah, and I agree with you. Amen. It's wrong. It is sinful. But nonetheless, man, a lot of these people, unfortunately, they were molested. They were raped. It doesn't excuse their sin, but... You know, let's add a little bit of love to the the administration of truth. Amen. Amen. Don't deride them, and you know, because because one thing I learned about us Christians, we like to be very selective about the sins we, you know, we really really focus on. And I, and again, I'm not saying it's not wrong. It's just let's continue to have a heart of love when we do address these things. Um, Amen. <clears throat> But it says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. Be aware when you slander your brother or sister. I've been the victim of slander before, and I tell you, it's not good. I don't like it. Especially when I work very hard to live a righteous life. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. From my understanding, swindler is like um, you like to really meddle in other people's business and lives and affairs and, you know, really get entangled with all that stuff. I, I might be wrong about that. Don't quote me. Um, but it says, but here's the encouraging word, because Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church who is doing this stuff. You know, you know, there was a man who slept with his stepmom. And then Paul's like, yo, this isn't even going on in the world. But you're doing this in the church. He said, you're proud. You're, you're, you, you are, uh, you, they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. They're getting drunk with communion. And by the way, because I know that we like to say that Jesus didn't make alcoholic wine they were getting drunk with communion 
How do you get drunk with something that has no alcohol? And Paul didn't say, hey, start using grape juice. Start using uh, Welch's grape juice. I, I think that's actually worse because it got a bunch of uh, 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 sucrose and all. who knows all this other mutated junk in there, right? I think that's actually worse than actual al uh, uh, wine. But nonetheless, um, he, he, they're doing all this stuff. And this is what he says. And I know that offends Christians. Look, and, you know, I used to be on that bandwagon, used to deride believers and say, hey, no, alcohol is sin. But the point, the point is, the Bible don't say that. Drunkenness is sin. Amen. Drunkenness is. Okay? Now, do I advise getting, Amen. you know, alcohol? No. You know, one of the things I made with the Lord, like, I won't buy alcohol. I, I believe I can. I really believe I can. And I used to hate, I, I, I used to call people lukewarm and half-hearted if they even attempted to make the case that you can drink wine. Like, you lukewarm, you know, but here's the thing, who's right though? Not me, I wasn't right because the Bible didn't say that. So, I have, this, look, man, what I've learned is this will offend you. This will offend your theology, what you think you know about God. Amen. This will offend Amen. it. And so I had to admit and say, you know what? Hey, drunkenness is sin, but not alcohol. Now, would I say, is it wise? No. But nonetheless, this is what he says, verse 11. And this is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul, though they are dealing with sin, is pointing them back to their identity, saying, you've been washed. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't let this have dominion over you. Don't let this rule over you. You've been sanctified and justified by the Spirit of our God and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't let this stuff define you. So, <coughs> now, now going back to this, he, he, he says, uh, and if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, our body is very valuable. Very valuable. And it's precious. The Bible, Paul even says, you know, who, uh, you know, neglects his own body. But, what, it's not Jesus saying that our temporal life is of no value. But he's placing a priority on eternal life. And saying that eternal life is of greater value than our momentary life. And so even if it is the most costly decision for you to make, you have to say yes to Jesus. There is no comparison. There's no comparison. Amen. Amen. To either say yes to the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season or to say yes to Christ. Now to say yes to Jesus isn't a loss. It's no loss indeed. It may feel like a pinch to your flesh because you're going to have to give things up. 
You know, sometimes it's not always a matter of sin and unrighteous, uh, unrighteousness and righteousness. Sometimes it's a matter of wisdom and foolishness. Amen. Is getting tattoos a sin? I don't know, man, but you're a preacher and you're, what, 40 years old? You've been walking with the Lord 20 years? And you're asking about tattoos. I see where your values are at. I can tell you, I've never thought about getting a tattoo. I'm not saying I'm the standard, but I'm saying my mind is really focused on the kingdom. Why do I want to advertise stuff on my body? Why? Why do you want to do that? Because it looks, yeah, it looks cool, right? You want to shop on the cool list, drive on the cool list, look on the cool list. What's so cool about cool? You know, and, and I'm not trying to be insulting, but those are things that 13-year-old boys, 14-year-old boys are interested in. Getting the Nikes, the, 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 the cool pants and all of that stuff. I, I can already, I can feel that it's offending somebody. But, hey, at the end of the day, men don't think about those things. Real men, mature men. Amen. Amen. That's not where their values are at. And let me say this, sisters, skip out on those guys who are so self-absorbed. All they're concerned about is still looking like they're 18 years old and you're in your 30s. No. No. Look, let, let, me, let me give you a good example. I'm sure a lot of us here know, uh, you know, Apostle Joshua Selman. Or, you know, even take Paul Washer, for example. Think of some of the most dignified and mature preachers you can think of. What? How would it look as if they were trying to revert back to 18 years old and dress like that? It's unfitting, right? It, there's no match. It, and it, it, the reason why is because maturity level. And so the, the point that I'm trying to make is to say, is it sin? No. But there are maturity levels. And I understand, too, there's backgrounds. Certain people of certain backgrounds, you know, they're going to dress a certain way, you know. But the point that I'm trying to make is when it comes to foolishness and wisdom, let's choose wisdom. It's not always a matter of sin or not sin. But we want to continue to grow. We don't want to stagnate in our walks with God. Amen. We, we want to continue Amen. to excel in all things. Amen. Um, and that doesn't mean that you, you, you know, that doesn't mean that you, you, you don't value the way you dress. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm suggesting is, look, be mindful of how you present yourself. And we can all grow, I think, in this area. Just continue to be mindful in how you present yourself to others, to the world, to the church, you know, and, um, and, um, Yes. Um, okay, verse 10, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. It says, What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go, go uh, to look for the one that wandered off? No, I, I love this passage here. 
Because David and even even David himself says, I have strayed away like lost sheep. Lead me back, O Lord. <clears throat> Amen. And so Jesus values lost sheep. He values those who go astray. The Bible says that who whoever wins their brother back to the Lord, it says saves them from death and covers a multitude of sins. You know, and, and here's the thing. Proverb talks about this. It says, if you see someone led to death, do not say, um, I haven't seen. He says, does not the eyes of the Lord see? And the reason why Proverbs brings that up is because sometimes when people are led to death, you're going to be tempted to not say anything. Because it's going to offend them. Because it's going to hurt them. And because it might ruin a relationship. And I'm not saying be reckless in you correcting somebody. But if you've already taken out the plank in your eye. And you can see clearly to correct your brother or sister. Correct them. Because you might be leading. You might be preventing their souls from. To danger, preventing their souls from danger. Amen. So be prepared to lose some of your brothers and sisters, unfortunately. There's been times I've had to tell a brother or sister, hey, that person isn't for you. And then they get all entitled and jacked up in their heart. Who are you? But I I thought you were just saying like not long ago that I was your pastor. And now you want to pull the who are you business. Right? And then who am I when I'm the one helping you, right? And I'm not trying to boast or brag. It's not about that. But the point that I'm trying to make, it, it's a lot of times it's predictable. Then who am I when you're messed up in sin, someone jacked up your life, he abused you, he was not who he cracked out to be, and we're still here for you. Right? Right? And um, intent is prior to content. When you want certain things, your intentions, you will you will grab a hold the content you want, or you'll edit out other content that you don't like. And all of a sudden, the people that were for you, you're now saying are against you. This person's a fake. They're a fraud, and it's just it's not right, man. <clears throat> um, but Jesus's heart is for the lost. Uh, and, and it's not just speaking about those who don't know Jesus. Sometimes Christians get lost in the faith by false doctrine or false people or they just have taken a wrong course. Amen. And now they're, they're off on some crazy path. But how many of you know that Jesus' heart loves those who have wandered? Why do you think he's stressing this so much? Don't cause people to stumble because you might cause them to wander. You might cause them to, you know. So what's true for Jesus' correction who, uh, to those who are doing the stumbling, hear the other side of his heart who doesn't want the people to stumble and be led astray from the great shepherd. You know, why is it such a serious deal when people kidnap? 
It's love that uh, uh, indicts criminals who kidnap kids. But praise God that those laws are there in place, right? Because we love children. We want to protect children. Amen. And oh, the tragedy for the parents who have lost their children. It's, it, it's a tragedy. And yet God is protecting his children, his sheep. And he says, you know, he leaves the 99. Man, that's beautiful. He leaves the 99 just to go and search for that one. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. You know, have you ever seen that Instagram reel where there's a sheep that is stuck in a little, <laughs> like a pit, and the dude pulls him out, and then the sheep does a couple other hops and falls right into... <laughs> <laughs> that that's 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 what pastors do. So doop doop, I guess this again. Come on, get out. <laughs> but he says, um, you know, the Lord cares about those who have wandered off. He loves them. He loves them. The Father's heart wants you to stay home. The Father's heart wants you to stay home. He don't want you to go and be a prodigal and go off and say, I, I'm tired of the Father's house. Thank you know, you. And, and you know, the beautiful thing is, what, what was the Father's response when the Son had come? He says, seeing his son a long way off. You know what that tells me? His father was out there day by day looking for the return of his son. Awaiting, anticipating for the return of his lost son. And what did he do? He, he asked for his father's inheritance. He squandered his wealth on prostitutes and riotous living. And, and, and he, he, was feed, he was feeding among the pigs and... And and, uh, and he and remember, pigs to a Jewish mind was repulsive. It was disgusting. It was dirty. And he's filthy now. And it says he came thus to himself. Hallelujah! I feel the Holy Ghost. It says he came thus to himself and says, "Man, I'm hungry. How many more of my father's hired servants are more fed? Are better fed than myself?" And here I am, a son, and I'm starving. I want to go back home. I want to go home. I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of this position. I'm tired of this rut I'm stuck in. I don't belong here. I'm a daughter. I'm a son of the Most High God. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a song that's so beautiful. It's by Fred Hammond. It's called Prodigal Son. It says, Prodigal Son, come back to my love. You are the one that my heart searches for. Whatever you've done, I cannot even remember. Although there are many in my house, my house is still empty without my prodigal son. Although there are many in my house, it's still empty without my prodigal son. Hallelujah. 
You know, there's this ad lib at the end of the song. It says, please hurry home. Because I love you. Oh, yes, I do. Please hurry home. Please hurry home. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that your heart longs for your children. Thank you, Father, that your heart yearns for the return of those who have gone astray. There's a, there's a part of the song that says, In each day I go out to the road where you've departed, saying, Maybe today my lost son will come. And in hopes of your return, um, I, I, I stand with open arms. Thank you, Lord. Prodigal son, come back to my love. You are the one that my heart seeks for. Whatever you've done, I cannot even remember. Although there are many in my house, still empty without my prodigal son. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray just lead your people back for those who have gone astray, for those who have wandered off, for those, O oh Lord, who may feel so ashamed to come home. They may feel so guilty, like they're worthless, Lord. I pray that your blood would cleanse them of their sin and reaffirm your great love and your tender mercies toward your children. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And what, 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 what was the father's response when that son returned home? Did he deride him and point his finger at him and say, I told you so, you worthless son? See, so that, that's how some of our fathers or our mothers would have treated us. You know, I remember when I was out thugging in the world and I was out in the streets and I remember, you know, as a youngster, being 15 years old, not even being at home days at a time. Uh, I remember just my dad not even really knowing what's going on, man. But he's, he's worried in my heart. My, my dad wasn't, my dad was pretty hard and he was very hurtful physically just beat on me a lot of the times when I was a little kid and um, I remember you know being a youngster and doing what I was doing but I remember knowing that I put my dad through torment because he knew his son was up to no good and even though he, he, he was had a lot of anger and I know that there was still an element of love in his heart that didn't want to see his son die. Amen. And if you evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? Amen. And I, I, I just, I remember, and I remember sometimes, I, I remember being away from home, and even though it was bad at home, I remember being among some very just unpleasant people, 
very degraded people, and times homeless and dope heads and uh, criminals that I knew, I, I was just a number to them. Uh, you know, and I can get in a crossfire and my life can get taken, you know, by shady people. And I remember just a kid, man, thinking about that. Well, he, here's what I want to say. The point that I'm bringing that up is the world in sin is ruthless. It will eat you up and spit you out and treat you like trash. But there's still room in the Father's house. Amen. I love this song. It says, There's room at the cross for you. Hallelujah. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's still room at the cross. Will you come? Man, I feel the Spirit. He's just really having to sit here on this. This. Will you come? Will you lay down what you've been doing? Will you lay it down and say, Lord, I'm I'm tired of doing all that I've been doing. I'm tired of bringing grief to your heart. I'm tired of making a mess of my life. I'm tired of going astray. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready to give you my heart. I'm ready to give you my soul. I'm ready to say yes to your will. And you may not have the strength within yourself to do that, but the Spirit of God wants to empower you so that you can live for Him. Amen. The Spirit of God wants to empower you so you can say yes to His will, even if it means saying no to the wills of others. And though it is a fleeting, though it is a temporary time of suffering, and what I mean by that is sometimes you're going to have to bite the bullet and you're going to be, be uh, uh, harassed by the devil because he's not going to let you go without any difficulty. He's going to try to grab you uh, by the collar, as it were, and drag you back to an old way of life that will uh, pummel you to perdition and lead you to danger. But the Spirit of God wants to woo you and draw you to His home and to say to return, to, to accept and obtain life, to obtain a, a, a glory. And you may not taste the immediate effects of your decision of saying yes to Christ, but if you give it a little while, and you just allow God to work on your life, He will make it a glory. <clears throat> He'll bring you to a place of restoration. He'll bring you to a place of... Uh, uh, that uh, to where your life is an indication of his redemptive power, his glorious work, and, and, and his wonderful love, and he will display what he has done in your life. You don't come to Jesus and are left worse than when you had come. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. And what does he say right here? He says, verse 12, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? You know, see, here's one of the things about self, self-righteous people. Because I, I've, I've heard it said before, and it's perfect. It, it, it encapsulates uh, uh, this truth real well. And, and it's that God leaving the ninety-nine for the one makes no sense until you're that one. Amen. Jesus leaving the 99 for the one, it makes no sense until you're the one he's leaving for. Oh, how our perspectives change real quick when it's us. But aren't you aren't you glad that he's willing today to leave the 99 for the one? If he's tugging on your heart, that's what he's doing. If you've gone astray and he's tugging at your heart, that's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm leaving the 99 to come for you, daughter. I'm leaving the 99 to come for you, son. The Holy Spirit is drawing. He's working even now as I'm saying this. Some of you are in the valley of decision or having to make some difficult choices, but the Spirit of God is drawing you. Don't say yes to the flesh. Don't say no to Jesus just for a little bit of flesh. Don't wound the heart for the one who's given his life's blood for you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He don't need you. But he wants you. You need him. That's why his heart grieves. His heart yearns. He calls out. Lifts up his voice in the marketplaces unto the souls of men, saying, Whosoever that wills, come and drink of the water of life freely. Don't hewn out for yourself broken cisterns that can hold no water, but drink of the water that I provide unto you, and you will be satisfied and thirst no more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if he finds it, look it. If he finds that lost one, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. He's happier. You know, Jesus is happy when you say yes to him. You want to bring joy to the heart of Jesus? You want to make Jesus happy? He doesn't want your possessions. He doesn't want your car. He wants you. Not because Jesus has this sloppy, sentimental love and he's broken and, and, and doesn't know what to do with himself if he doesn't have you. No! His love is, it, it looks away from self and looks to you and sees all your need for Him. Your need for Him and Him alone. And He cries out. Bring joy to the heart of Jesus. Bring happiness. Bring gladness to His heart. <clears throat> By saying no to sin. 
you may have to say no to a particular female. You have to say no to a particular male. I have to say no to certain plans. Might feel a little bit disappointed, but let me tell you, it's better than the pig's pen. It's better than the pig's pen. You think you're obtaining freedom when you say no to God, but you go further and further into the mire. You go so deep, and you finally realize and say, oh boy, what did I do? This isn't a happy place. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. I remember before I came to Christ, I did everything I wanted to do. I remember one particular night, I I was crying. I didn't read the Bible. I just remember crying. I felt so empty. I felt empty, man. As a 17-year-old kid, I felt empty. I did everything I wanted to do. Had my ghetto fame, earning money, doing all that stupid stuff. And I didn't know why. And I couldn't rebel against it anymore. Because I was dead. My heart was crying out for life. But when the sweet love of Jesus had appeared to me, it washed me by His Holy Spirit, I've never been the same. I remember that hot August night, I cried unto Jesus. And I said, Oh Lord, if you could save me. I'm a messed up sinner. My life is in shambles. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm empty. I need you. And he saved me. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. I remember crying those hot tears. Man, I never experienced it a day in my life. I, I, I hardly ever cried. And the time I cried, these hot, I mean, they were hot. They began to stream all the way from my eyes to my belly. I was beginning to drench my shirt in so many tears. I was beginning to speak in tongues and cry. I felt this this weight of sin roll off my shoulders. And all that murder in my heart and all that anger and all, all the filth that was in me was coming out, was coming out. And I began to cry at the altar and wept in the presence of God for an hour. And I remember afterward looking to my friend, to the brothers who had prayed me through to receive the Holy Ghost. I remember I said these exact words. I didn't, couldn't tell you John 3.16. I couldn't tell you the, there was an Old or New Testament. All I knew was I was a broken sinner and I was hanging on. I said, oh Lord, I need grace. I need grace. I need your power and your blood to wash me clean of my sin. And I looked to them. I said, I've tried many drugs in my life and I've done this and done that, but I, I said there is no high that can give me what I experienced this day and I had the greatest joy I had the biggest smile and I remember 
that I was so in love with Jesus and I said yes to him and turned my back on the world. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And the, you, some of you know my story, but I remember before I had given my life to the Lord, Amen. that night I almost got in a fight with this dude who was a gangster at the camp because he wasn't saved either. And he said he was going to slice my throat when I go to sleep. And I'm thinking in my head, like, if this guy does it, I'm going to hell. Because <laughs> I don't know Jesus. And so I was like, man, I hope he don't do it. I mean, I'm going to sleep with my eye open. And I'm going to clock this dude. Or, you know, this is what I'm thinking in my head. I'm, you know, this and this and that. But when Jesus saves me and I, and, and he, he, I got right with God, I remember from that point forward, I, was, I, I didn't care. Because I knew if I were to die that night, I would be go. I would go to be with the Lord. Amen, somebody. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Psychology can't do that. Some psychotherapist can't do that. Only the Holy Ghost can, because He's in the business of redeeming the lives of men. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, there's this song that says, I got it, I got it, hallelujah, I got it, I got it, hallelujah. There's something about the, there's something about the Holy Ghost, I can't explain it, but I got it. You need it, <laughs> you need it, hallelujah, you need it, you need it, hallelujah. It's an old-fashioned, old-school song, but it's true. There's something about the Holy Ghost, I can't explain it, but you need it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> We're coming to a close here. I just want to finish this last passage up. It says, <coughs> verse 14, In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. No, God is not some sadistic God looking to strike people down. He wills for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. <clears throat> for all to come to repentance. You're included within that all. He doesn't want to see you perish. He doesn't want to see me perish. And he's happy if we don't. You know, some people can't get, be some people think that God, like Jesus, is like some Greco God, some Stoic God. It's like, halt. Don't go that way. And and has this real, you know, monotone, you know, way to him. That if you say no to sin, congratulations. No, the, 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 there is a, the, he rejoices over us with singing, the Bible says. And Zephaniah says he will rejoice over you with singing and quiet you with his love. <clears throat> do you think a Greek God would do that 
You think a stoic God will do something like that? No. Our God is filled with love. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, neither will he harbor his anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love of the Lord towards those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For we, he knows how we are formed, for he remembers that we are dust. Hallelujah. He remembers that you're dust. He remembers that. He remembers you're weak. He remembers that you need him. He remembers I need him. He doesn't forget. You know, I forget a lot of things. I forget. But God don't forget. And there's some of you that feel like God has forgotten you. But I'm here to tell you today that the Holy Spirit hasn't forgotten you. It won't always be like this. Lord will perfect that concern in you. Sooner or later, it will turn in my favor. Thank you, Jesus. You know, in closing, there's a song that says uh, by Clint, uh, Clint Brown, I believe. If not for grace. It says, where would I be? You only know. I'm glad you see through eyes of love. I'd be an empty case, an empty place, if not for a grace. I'd be an empty place, a hopeless case, if not for grace. <clears throat> I want us right now to... Stop this. Recording.